Have you ever faced a battle that felt bigger than you? Have you ever faced what seemed like impossible odds? Have you ever felt like your back was against the wall? Well, that is exactly how the children of Israel felt in the book of Exodus chapter 14 as they are trapped between the Red Sea and the greatest army in the world, the Egyptian army. I bet you have felt the same way. We all have what we call our Red Sea moments. And we are today in week three of a series called Red Sea Rules. And what we're doing is we're looking at this incredible story, which is going to end in one of the greatest miracles in human history. Uh, but the miracle hasn't happened yet. God is still teaching the Israelites and He's teaching the Egyptians some very important lessons about who He is, about His power, about what He can do. And in the case of the Israelites, He's teaching them things about themselves. And that's going to lead to greater maturity and greater faith for them. And what I want you to understand is that the Bible in the New Testament tells us that all of these Old Testament stories are there to teach us. They are there to instruct us, inspire us, and sometimes warn us uh, so that we don't have to repeat some of the same mistakes uh, that people like the Israelites will make in this very story. So when you think you are facing a Red Sea of your own, you can look at this story and learn how to face your own difficult situation. Red Sea rule number one that we looked at a few weeks ago said this, wherever you are, God either allowed you to be there or He orchestrated the situation so that you would be there. And that should help us. It should encourage and comfort us. Then we learn Red Sea rule number two. The goal of your life should become the glory of God. All of life is about the glory of God. And the glory of God is when His intrinsic value and worth becomes visible in the world. And He does that primarily through us, you and I, people who love Him and follow Him. Today we're going to learn Red Sea Rule number three. And to do that, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 14. Again, if you have your Bibles or your devices, go there with me. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10 today. Let's see what it says. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them encamped at the sea by Piharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So Pharaoh wakes up to his entire uh, labor force, the Egyptians, uh, had used the Israelites to build things and to make life good for themselves. For hundreds of years, the Israelites had been under the whip and the tyranny of Egypt. And now God is bringing His people out in what is known as the Exodus. But Pharaoh changes his mind. And when he changes his mind, he chases down the Israelites with his incredible army, with its chariots and horses and all of the fighters of Egypt. Pharaoh is angry and he is going to get the Israelites back, so he thinks. They came after him. And what you need to understand is that if you're facing a tough situation, the Israelites were as well. This was the greatest army in the world. And, and the Bible tells us that when the Israelites turned around, that's what they saw first. Their eyes lifted up and they saw the obstacle. They saw 
the battle before them. And there's a great parallel between what the Israelites face and what you and I face every day because let me just clue you in on something very important. This life on this side of the Garden of Eden is a battleground. And you can bet on this. The Christian life is a battleground. The Christian life is warfare. It really is. The Bible tells us this. We're going to look at several places in the Scriptures that are going to teach us this today. Because like the Israelites, you and I, we have an enemy as well. A very powerful enemy, a very dangerous enemy. But the difference is our enemy is spiritual in nature. Uh, the, the weapons of warfare that you and I are facing are spiritual in the way they are designed. And what we're going to find out today is we learn from the Israelites how to face our own Red Sea moments is that when our backs are against the wall, when you face your tough situations, you're going to find that there's far more going on than meets the eye. So the Egyptian army is bearing down uh, on the Israelites who are 500,000 plus people, old and young, babies all the way to adults. This is a very tough situation. Their backs are against the wall. What are they going to do? And when they lift up their eyes, they see uh, the Egyptian army. And here is where the temptation is for all of us. When we face our Red Sea moments, uh, the temptation is going to be to focus on the difficulty, focus on the threat, focus on the enemy. But we're going to learn today this important rule. Red Sea rule number three says this, focus on God while staying aware of the enemy. We have to focus on something. That's clear. We, we're not good as humans at focusing on multiple things uh, at one time. In fact, when they talk about multitasking, did you know that that's actually a myth? You weren't made to do that very well at all. In fact, what they say is what you do when you try to focus on multiple things is you don't do them simultaneously. You just quickly jump in your mind from one thing to another. You were designed by God to have focus and to focus on one thing primarily at a time. So when it comes to facing Red Sea moments, your big temptation is going to be to focus on your enemy. But I want you to change that from focusing on your enemy to simply being aware of the enemy while you focus on God. In fact, what I want you to do is I want you to make this transition. You're going to find when it comes to spiritual warfare, because that's what we're talking about here. You and I are in a spiritual battle the way the Israelites were in a battle uh, there at the Red Sea. And when it comes to our spiritual warfare, our spiritual battle, the Bible would teach us that we are to follow more than we fight. You're to follow more than you fight. What does that mean? It means you focus on God. You follow God while you stand against and remain aware of your enemy. In fact, listen to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6 would be what I would consider the quintessential uh, spiritual warfare book of the Bible. And here's what it says in verse 12. 
we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. Now that describes for us a battle and what it tells you, like the Israelites, when you face your Red Sea moments, there's more going on than you realize. You may think that in your marriage it's just man against woman. It's just the fight you're having. But there's always more going on because there is a spiritual dynamic to all things. Now what I want you to be aware of is that our modern world uh, sometimes numbs us to this truth. Do not allow modern sensibilities to pull you away from spiritual realities. Because when you face your hard times... Uh, when the battle looks like it's between you and your kids or between you and another family member or between friends or, or maybe it's a, uh, it is something going on at work or in relationships, you, you may think it's you against that other person or you arguing against a group of people. But the Bible tells us, in particular as believers and followers of God, there is a spiritual dynamic to our lives. There's a battle going on. It is spiritual in nature, according to Ephesians here. And we have a very real enemy. And when our enemy comes against us, the temptation is always going to be to focus on the battle, to focus on the enemy, to focus on the threat. And what the Bible is going to call us to do is to focus on the Lord. In fact, the Bible nowhere tells us or instructs us to openly fight the enemy. Now, I grew up in the 80s and 90s in the church world, and there was this huge focus on spiritual warfare. In fact, the number one selling books uh, in the Christian bookstores at that time would have been all about fighting Satan, fighting all of hell, all that kind of stuff. And we had all kinds of cheesy sayings that we would have, like that we were going to storm hell with water pistols. And there was even this cheesy song in the 80s in the Christian music world that said, the devil is in the phone book dialing 911 because Jesus has him on the run. Now, folks, when we talk like that, what we do is we uh, reveal that we don't really take this thing seriously. Number one, Satan is not a cartoon character and he's not hanging out in a phone booth somewhere. We have a very real enemy. And our enemy, we need to be aware of him. We don't need to be uh, just kind of ignoring him and maybe making fun of the idea. That, that is very dangerous territory. We need to take our enemy seriously, but we do not need to focus on him. And the Bible does not tell us to go fight our enemy. What does it say then? Well, let's go back to Ephesians 6 and see what it says. Verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities. So the Bible tells us there that, that we're not to fight Satan, we're to stand against him. And we don't just stand in our own power, our own strength. We stand in the strength and in the power of our God. Number one, you need to know that you are not as strong as your enemy. The Israelites were nowhere near as strong as the Egyptian army. They could not win that battle on their own. That's why God never tells them, turn around and fight the Egyptians. That would have been a losing battle. Instead, they're going to have to learn to depend on God and to stand fearless in who He is and in His character. And the Israelites aren't going to do so well with that in the beginning. They have a lot to learn about the character of their God. But you and I can learn from them. And when you face your Red Sea moment and your enemy is attacking, you can trust in who God 
is. We are to be strong in Christ, in the power of His might. We are to stand against the enemy, not fight him, but resist him and stand. What does that look like? And how do we fight this enemy? And oh, by the way, who is our enemy? Well, in light of that, let's talk about who our enemy really is. So we, like the Israelites, have a very real enemy. And the Bible tells us that our spiritual enemy has a name. His name is Satan, Lucifer. Now, often uh, he has been depicted in a cartoonish type way. That's a very dangerous road to go down. Uh, So we don't want to make fun of it, make light of the fact that we have uh, a spiritual enemy. We also don't want to allow our modern sensibilities to make us think that this is all uh, just foolishness and, and old uh, tales from an ancient book. No, this is, this is very, very real. And then we also need to not just focus on the enemy and be afraid of him. We need to be aware. But to be aware of Satan, we need to understand who our enemy is. And the Bible tells us a lot about him. In fact, in the Bible, Satan is compared to five different creatures. First of all, Satan is compared in the Bible to a serpent. In Genesis 3, you will find that a serpent enters the, uh, the Garden of Eden, which was a perfect place where man and woman are in perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with creation, and most importantly, perfect relationship with the Creator, with their God. And the serpent comes in to destroy that. Secondly, in the book of Matthew, you'll find that Satan is compared to birds that come and try to destroy the truth and the Word of God that is being planted in people's hearts. And these birds are there to cause destruction and confusion and stand in the way of God's truth reaching people. Thirdly, Satan is compared to a wolf. In John 10, it says that the wolf, Satan, attacks the flock. This means that the people of God, uh, though we are protected in Christ, we are not uh, going to be impervious to attack. Like, we will be attacked. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that. We will be attacked by our enemy, and our enemy is a lot like a wolf attacking the sheep. Fourthly, and and maybe most famously, Satan is compared to a lion in the Bible. In 1 Peter, we see that he is like a lion, and we're going to see what he wants to do. He wants to destroy. He wants to hunt the people of God down. And then finally, in the book of Revelation, we see that Satan is compared to a dragon creature. And he is there in Revelation. We get a look under the curtain, if you will, of history, and we see that Satan uh, was trying to destroy the Son of God even as a child. And so what we see is that we have a very real enemy. And the Bible speaks of him not in some cartoonish way or outlandish way, but in a very realistic way. And we see him throughout Scripture in different places, even even tempting Jesus himself in a desert. And what we see is that Jesus himself stood against Satan. And and we're going to see how he did that. He did that by standing in the truth, even speaking the truth. But we do indeed have a real enemy. And the Bible tells us we should put on the full armor of God and stand against our enemy. So what does that look like to put on the full armor of God? Well, the armor of God was meant to not be a physical thing. It was a spiritual thing. But sometimes if we're not careful, we miss the point. In fact, sometimes uh, it might look a little like this. Everybody's on a different path, but, but some people are just a little, you know, further along. I get up every morning and I put on the full armor of God, just like the Apostle Paul tells us to do in Ephesians 6. 
Of course, it's made a few things more difficult. I've had to reevaluate some things like how I get my car, how I drink my morning coffee, but, but I've come up with solutions for most of these things. It's not for everybody. My wife's not really into it. Hold on a second. Hey, can you hear me? Dad, I need, I need you to talk just a little bit louder. Sometimes I hear people make fun of me behind my back, but I just turn the other cheek, you know? I mean, who's gonna be laughing when the day of evil comes? Not the guy in the suit of armor. You know what I mean? I'm working on my moves. Gotta stay sharp, you know? I've got my breastplate of righteousness. I've got my helmet of salvation. It doesn't get any more secure than when you're wearing the helmet of salvation. Shoot! I've got my feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth. I got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I've got my shield of faith. I don't know why more people haven't done this yet, but they will, they'll learn. So we have a very real enemy that we need to be aware of, but not focus on. Remember, Red Sea rule number three, focus on God while we remain aware of the enemy. In fact, I would say it like this, success in this spiritual battle will be surrender to our God. That's what success looks like. The more surrendered you are to God, the more you focus on Him. Remember, we are to follow God more than we are to fight our enemy. Success in this battle is surrendered to God. Now we do have an offensive weapon. You may have heard about it. Uh, let's take a look under the hood of Ephesians. We'll go to verse 17 and you're going to see a weapon that God has given us. It's the one that Jesus used when He was being tempted in the desert. It's one you can use every time you face your own Red Sea moment and Red Sea battle. It says this, "...and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God." So we do have not just shields and belts and breastplates and helmets and shoes. We have an offensive weapon. And the Bible tells us our offensive weapon is the Word of God. Now the word used here for sword is not the sword you're thinking of. Now if you're like me, I love movies like Braveheart and all the medieval movies. And so when I think about a sword, I think about what you would call a broadsword. And the Romans indeed had one of those. But that is not the one that the Apostle Paul was talking about when he wrote this. He used the word machera. And the word machera for sword is a dagger. It's, it's, an, it's an instrument that looks more like this. A broadsword, you just swing it all over the place. You're not sure what it's going to hit, but whatever it hits, it's going to do some damage. That's not how we use the Word of God. Uh, the Bible, the Word, the truth of the Bible is what I would call a precision instrument. It's not something you just swing around all over the place. It's something you use with great skill. It's, it's something that you can do surgery with. In fact, the Bible describes how the Word of God works in that very way. And what I want you to understand is that when you face the enemy, you've been given the greatest offensive weapon of all time. And here's why it's so great. The Bible describes the sword of God, the machera, the dagger, as being double-edged. It has two edges. All right, one edge of it works against your enemy, but one edge of it works on you. That's the beauty of the Word of God. The Word of God fights the enemy while the Word of God does surgery on you, on me. In fact, don't just read your Bible. The Bible was never meant just to be read. The Bible was meant to be a book that also reads you. The Bible's not a book to just learn. The Bible is a book to live. This 
This Word of God that has been given to us is, is a great gift, and it is alive, living. Every word points us to Jesus and can change us from the inside out. You've been given this incredible uh, thing to fight the enemy that also does incredible work on you as you are in uh, your battle. Now remember, the number one thing we're to do is to stand in Christ and to follow Him. The book of James says this. Listen to these words, James 4, 7 through 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist. Here it is. Not fight the devil, but resist the devil. So first of all, it starts with how you stand in God. Submit yourself to God. Stay close to Him. And as you do that, as you follow primarily, you stand against the devil. And look what it says, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. There it is again. The overwhelming focus when spiritual warfare is happening in our lives should be our relationship with God, not our battle against our enemy. So it says, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So when the battle rages around you, when you like the Israelites, when you look up and you see the greatest army in the world coming at you, and maybe you feel like it's the biggest battle in your marriage, in your home, in your life, in your finances, in your career, in your health. I don't know what you're facing, but I know this. Focus on God more than you do the battle. Focus on God more than you do the enemy. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. So Red Sea rule number three teaches us to focus on God while we remain aware of the enemy. That is a perfect biblical combination. Let's go to the great words of 1 Peter. We mentioned it, we alluded to it earlier when we mentioned the different animals that Satan is compared to. Let's go under the hood of this one. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Okay, that's a lot right there. We need to, that is the posture we should have when we are in the middle of a battlefield, right? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. There it is again. Doesn't say fight him. Doesn't say hunt him down. Doesn't say any of that. It says resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So a few things we see here. Number one, we're to be aware of the enemy. And a, a couple of things you learn about the enemy right here in these powerful verses is number one, his tactics. How does the enemy attack us? He attacks you like a lion does. And we know exactly how lions attack. They use incredible deception. As big and powerful as they are, they still deceive. They try to get the weakest animal that they can. That becomes their prey. And they don't just attack the whole herd of buffalo. They wait and hide for one buffalo to get away from the rest of the herd. They are always on the hunt and they use all sorts of brilliant deceptions so that then they can unleash their power to take down their prey. And the Bible says we need to understand that's how the enemy works for us. When you think everything's fine, the enemy is lurking in the shadows of your life. When you think you have everything in control, you need to be aware, not fearful, but aware that you have a very real enemy at all times on this side of the Garden of Eden. Secondly, we learn in this verse his goal. Why does Satan attack? It says here to devour. A good friend of mine told me once, Satan is a cold-blooded killer. And that is the truth. Satan does not just want to mess you up. Satan does not just want to bother you and aggravate you and frustrate you. He doesn't just want to make you ultimately uncomfortable. He wants to destroy you. And all in your life that has the imprint of God on it, 
marriage, kids, your ministry, uh, your walk with God, everything in your life, Satan wants to destroy it because Satan hates you. You bear the image of God. He does not. He hates you for it. And he's coming for you to devour you. Thirdly, you need to know his character. The Israelites knew the Pharaoh. They had been working for him a long time. Do you know your enemy? The Bible gives us a little insight here. It says he acts like a lion, but it says this. It says he roars about like a lion, meaning he's not a lion. Satan will act like he has more power than he does. He will terrify you. And that is why today we're teaching you, be aware of your enemy. Do not be afraid of your enemy. The Bible just told you in the book of James, when you resist him standing in your faith, not standing on your own, you don't have power over Satan on your own. That's why you're not told to go fight him. But when you stand in Christ, you will find all the power you need there because we are more than overcomers through Christ our Lord. And his cross and his blood, and even most importantly, his empty tomb tells us there is victory. Jesus said, have hope, take courage for he, not us, for he has overcome the world. Jesus is who we stand in. Satan's not the real lion. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the true lion, the lion of Judah. He's the real deal, and you can trust him. In fact, I think when we, when we want to find a picture of what spiritual warfare that is successful looks like in the life of a believer, I think it really looks a lot like this.
So we all do have battles. And if you're not in one in this very moment, it's coming soon. Life on this side of Eden is a really tough thing. But it's also a beautiful thing. We're not to walk in fear. We're to walk in confidence in Jesus. And we're not to walk in our own power. We have a power source that's greater than anything that we can manufacture on our own. As people of God, just like the Israelites, we have nothing to fear. When our backs are against the wall and the enemy is coming down the hill after us, we can stand firm in Christ. Confident, fearless, being aware of our enemy, but not afraid of him. Because our overwhelming focus and priority will be to follow Christ. Because while we will remain aware of our enemy, we will remain focused on our God. Let's sing this truth out together this morning. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. But my God will For the battle